your copy of God's Word and go to the very first book. We're going to preach from a passage that I love. Find Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. In his book, Becoming a King, Becoming a King, Morgan Snyder writes about meeting a decorated U.S. Special Forces warrior. I mean, talk about a man's man. Special Forces warrior who was a master on the battlefield but he struggled mightily at home. The soldier said, and I quote, I can handle any firefight and a 300-man ambush, no problem. My role and objectives in war are clear. It is my life at home I can't handle. My marriage, my kids, my mortgage, I'm failing. I feel like I live in Afghanistan and I'm deployed to my home in Texas. Morgan Snyder went on to comment that nothing ex- exposes more of the unfinished places in our, mar- in our lives uh, than our marriage and our parenting. Marriage and home life are the most difficult relationships in which to love well, listen, because they're the only place in which it is least possible to hide. It's very hard to hide in the home. It's very hard to keep up a pretend act in the home. Today I want to talk with you about the home. I want to talk with you about marriage. I'm afraid that too many are struggling in their home life today. And I'm not just talking about those outside the church. I'm talking about those who are believers, those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Many Christians are going through the same things in their home that lost people who don't know Jesus are going through. I don't have to tell you today, I don't think, that uh, marriage and the home are under attack in our land. Um, Home as we know it, the traditional family as we know it, is under attack. But I want to just say loud and clear today, marriage still matters. Marriage still matters. It's a holy covenant made before an assembled group of people and ultimately made before God Himself. And there are many resources available to help you in your marriage. Now, some of them are very, very good and some of them are very, very bad. But the very best resource we have to help us in our home and in our marriages is the Word of God. And that's why I want to take you to the Word of God, uh, probably to a very familiar passage to most here. Now, my goal today is to be biblical and to be practical. And I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stick with me to the final amen. I want you to hang with me to the final amen. Can you do that? If you'll nod your head yes, that would be very helpful. Some of you are already nodding off, but it's not yes. It's because you stayed up for the ball game last night. But I want you to know that I've reserved the final part of the message today to speak to various groups of people. Because when it comes to the idea of home life and marriage, whenever you preach on the marriage of people or home life or children or parenting, you have people all over the place. You have people that are and are not and people that were and people that will be and people that want to and people that don't want to. And so I've reserved the latter part of the message to talk to those who are struggling in their marriage, to talk to those who are single, to those who are divorced and to those who are remarried. And I want to give you some things to encourage you and help you, I pray. And then I want to give to those who are married uh, some things to help you to improve your marriage, some practical things, uh, just a few 
that will encourage you. You can put to use right away in your home and you can use them even this week. And I speak today not as an expert, but as a fellow traveler who's been married quite a while now, I guess, and and um, still learning, still growing. We always are. Would you look with me at a familiar passage, Genesis chapter 2. This takes us back to the very first marriage. Takes us back to the first home. To our great, 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 I don't know how many great grandparents. A couple by the name of Adam and Eve. And we find in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him an helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Right up front I want to give you some very important truths when it comes to marriage, when it comes to the home, when it comes to this holy covenant. Then we're going to look at several things from the passage itself. Let me just mention right off the bat today just to kind of lay some groundwork And to build a foundation here, marriage was instituted by God, it was ordained by God, and it was done before the fall of man into sin. It is older than the divine institutions of government and even the church. God, as you notice as you read today, performed the first marriage ceremony. Marriage is God's idea, not man's idea. God is the one who instituted marriage. Marriage, as you notice here, is between one man and one woman, not between other parties, not between multiple parties, not between differing parties. It is between one man and one woman. Marriage is to be permanent. There is to be a leaving and a joining together, or a cleaving that is to take place. Marriage is not a trial run. It's not a let's just try it see how it works out. If we don't like it, then we'll just, you know, do away with it. No, God's ideal for marriage from the beginning was a permanent lifetime commitment between one man and one woman. Now, in marriage, the husband and wife become one flesh. This, of course, includes the physical intimacy of the couple. The marriage bed, the Bible says, is undefiled. But it includes so much more than just the physical union of a man and woman. Everything is shared. Everything is shared. They become one flesh. I like how Stephen Davies said it. It involves spiritual, emotional, and mental unity. It involves two people going in the same direction. And marriage, just like everything, is to bring glory to God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, that includes getting married and living together as husband and wife. 
is to be done to the glory of God. Now, we've kind of laid some groundwork, so let's get into the passage itself. And I want you to notice here, beloved, first of all, the goodness of God. The goodness of God. What a wonderful God we serve. That's a good place to say amen. What a wonderful God we serve. Amen. What a wonderful God we serve. Now, God created all things. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of life. And uh, He created all these animals and He created the world. He created all these wonderful things we enjoy and need. And He placed all these into the earth and He's there and He makes this creature, this man named Adam. And as you read along here with me, you notice that the Bible says here that God said it is not good that man should be alone. Now listen, y'all. I've been here almost 15 years and I've been teaching you for 15 years. Guys, you blew it again. Whenever I said, the Bible says that God said it is not good that a man should be alone. Guys, that was your opportunity to say, Amen, honey. Amen. Y'all blew it. Forget it. You blew it again. We'll try again in a couple years. But God says, listen, it's not good that a man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper comparable to him. But it's interesting how God went about doing this. If you'll notice, He brought along these animals and He brought the animals along. And it's interesting here, as you read through the passage uh, there, it says, um, He formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what He would call them. And I believe they came in pairs because He created them so that they could reproduce. And so here He is, and and He has Adam bring them. And so I want you to picture in your mind there, Adam is there, and the animals are being brought before Him. Uh, No doubt in pairs. And He brought two creatures before Him, and and Adam looks at them, and and He looks at them, and they're big old cats, and and they're impressive looking, and He says, lions. And then he brings along another pair and he looks at them and he says, well, I think they're baboons. Then, then he's there and he, he looks and there's these two creatures walk up with really long necks and Adam looks up and says, giraffes. And whatever he called them, that was their name. But I believe there's something more to that than just naming the animals. As Adam is watching these animals come two by two so that they can reproduce and create more animals, maybe there was in Adam's heart a realization, well, there's nobody for me. There's no one comparable to me. Uh, In the King James, it says helpmeet. That's two Hebrew words that could be translated literally a helper suitable or one who complements or one who fits. Adam needed somebody to help him. And, and, and he realizes, I don't have a companion, I think, in his own heart. But God has a plan in mind, which brings us from the goodness of God to the power of God in verses 21 through 23. God performed what I guess we could call the first surgery here. And He made a woman out of a part of Adam. I mean, He literally took a part of Adam and fashioned a woman. It's it's an old saying. It's been around for years upon years. Matthew Henry said it, but it bears repeating. The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam. Not made out of his head to rule over him, nor nor of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. He took a rib and fashioned 
a helper suitable, a spouse, a marriage partner, a helpmeet, a companion. Now, can you imagine I would have loved to have been a fly on a tree branch that day and, and watch this take place and when Adam wakes up and I don't know, did they have sleepy dirt back then? But if they did, he wipes the sleepy dirt from his eyes. Is that what y'all call it too? Who knows what y'all call it? It's what we call it, sleepy dirt from his eyes. And he, and he kind of w- wakes up and he looks and he sees as he begins to focus and he sees this creature, a very shapely creature, by the way, and a very beautiful creature. And I really believe it's where it came where he says, whoa, man. And uh, she, she, uh, that joke never gets old with me. It might with y'all. But he calls her a woman. Why? Because she was taken from man and she'll be the mother of all the, the living. And we notice here that we move from the power of God in providing this to now the plan of God. The plan of God for marriage. God has a plan for marriage in general, and God has a plan for your marriage. Now, now what an interesting sight. In the, in the first marriage, God presided over the marriage. God was the witness to the marriage, and God even gave the bride away. I mean, look there. It says in verse um, 22, it says, He made her to a woman, and He brought her to the man. Marriage is God's idea. Now, we see the plan that God has for marriage there in verse 24. The key words are leave. And depending on your translation, if you've got the King James, it will say cleave. Newer translations may say join. So you have leaving, cleaving, and becoming one flesh. Or it may be leaving, joining, and becoming one flesh. Now, let's talk about those for a moment because this is God's plan. First of all, there is the leaving. Well, leaving who? Well, leaving mom and dad. Now, leaving mom and dad is not the idea of writing them off. It's not the idea of dishonoring them or never asking for any advice. But in marriage, you must leave behind the parents who brought you to that point in your marriage and you begin with your spouse, your own new family unit. You still love your family. You still honor your parents. You still seek their advice, their support. You can still hang out, all kinds of things. But you're forming a new family unit, if you will. One writer helps us. God is referring to priority, to the sense of direction. So a man and woman leave the nest and create for themselves their own purpose, their own direction. Their marital relationship takes priority over any other relationship. The responsibility to the wife or husband now has priority over every other relationship in existence. No human relationship then, ladies and gentlemen, should have priority of your marital relationship. So you're leaving behind mom and dad. You're leaving behind other relationships in a sense as far as priority. And you now have a new priority. And your priority is to your spouse. And when that leaving is not done, there will be problems. And so we've got to recognize, even as parents, you know, our job is to bring children up to the point where they're going to leave us. And they're going to form their own family units. And that's why we have the part of the, the ceremony, I guess, where many times if, if the father's available, he's still living, he's still able, he's kind. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? He gets the line right, which sometimes doesn't work out, right? But sometimes... Her mother and I, he gives the bride away. The mom kisses her son, realizing that now he has a new priority. Happy are the families that can find a balance here. 
We have loving, supporting in-laws and outlaws and, and all parties involved. And you have a husband and wife now who've been joined together in holy matrimony and their priority is to their spouse, but they have a loving support system around them. It's the idea of leaving, of forming their own family unit. Then there's the idea of joining together or cleaving as the old King James has it. It literally means to weld or to grip or to stick to one another. In other words, the man and woman are committed to one another for life. Someone said commitment is taking your hand off the doorknob to the back door of your marriage. I like that. Someone else says if you have in your marriage a fire escape, there will come a time when you're going to run for it, so you better seal it up. And you need to take the word divorce out of your vocabulary and off the table. It's not an option. You've been joined together in holy matrimony till death do you part. And so you stand before a group of people and before God and say, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And those options, they do come. Those things do happen. But you're making a promise before God and others and to your marriage partner that you realize that you're entering into a holy covenant before God that you're making these promises. Marriage is not something to play with. It's not something to belittle. It's not something to joke around with. The, the world makes fun of it. The world degrades it. They poke fun of it. They try to redefine it. But we better not. God created it. God instituted it. And God's concerned with it. So cleave, join, stick to, stay with your spouse till death do you part. But then there's a third one, and that is one flesh. Here's the fun part. We've touched upon this earlier, but this includes the physical union of a man and his wife. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. There is a place for that need for physical intimacy to be met in the eyes of a holy God, and it's in the covenant of holy matrimony. A man and his wife. But listen, there's so much more than just the physical union here. They're one in everything as we talked about earlier. And we look at this and we say, this is such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. I mean, when you attend a wedding and I get a front row seat, I get to watch the bride walk down to the groom. I get to see him shaking in his boots and sweating. I get to see him behind about to pass out. I get a front row seat of this beautiful covenant of marriage, of joining together a husband and wife. And it's such a beautiful thing. But then the question is, why all the problems? Why all the issues? Well, one word, the word is sin. The word is sin. It's the same thing that messes up everything. See, everything God created was good and right and holy and just and beautiful. But sin entered the world. You know, this couple, Adam and Eve, they're reading about this morning. They started their marriage in paradise. They would soon have a son who would murder his brother. Because of sin, there are no perfect marriages. You know why? Because there's no perfect people. I know you think they're perfect, but they're not. And neither are you and neither am I. We cannot have perfect homes because we're not perfect people, but we can have Christian homes. Homes that honor God and where His plan for marriage is lived out. But have homes like that, we're going to have to get back to the Word of God. We're going to live by His instructions and not the world's. Now here's what I want to do for just a few minutes. I want to talk to various groups of people. 
I want to talk first of all to those that are struggling in your marriage. You're struggling in your marriage. If you're honest, you're struggling. Things are not going well right now. The very first thing I want to say to you is make sure that you are saved. That's the starting point. Really, you can't honor God as He desires with your life if you don't know God. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We all need forgiveness of sin. We all need salvation. And so that's the starting point. If you were to come to me for pastoral counsel concerning your marriage, we would start right there. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? And that's the starting point. And then you say, well, yes, I'm saved. Well, then think about your life. If you're a Christian and you're married and you're having trouble in your marriage, start with yourself. Are there things in your life that are not right? Is there sin in your life? God is dealing with you about sin. He's convicting you. Maybe you've been putting it off. You've been resisting the Spirit's working. Well, come clean with the Lord. 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins. He's faithful to us to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So start with yourself. You say, okay, I've done that. I'm saved. I'm clean. Now, how do I fix him? How do I fix her? Well, you've already messed up. Because you can't fix him or her. And if that's your goal, you're going to be very frustrated in marriage. If your goal is to fix him or her, you're going to be in trouble. See, only God can change their heart. Only God can move and shape them and make them what He wants them to be. And so, you need to concern yourself with you and you live as God wants you to live and you do what God wants you to do and then you pray for your spouse. You communicate with your spouse. You love your spouse. You serve your spouse. You be a true Christian in your marriage. You say, well, what if my spouse is unsaved? Then you certainly need to be praying for them. Listen, don't nag them. Don't leave gospel tracts in their underwear drawer all the time. But you pray for them and you don't nag them and you don't just hang on them. You pray, you love them, you serve them. But the Scripture teaches. Live a godly life before your spouse. If you're struggling, remember today your marriage is worth it. Pray and plug away. Don't give up and be willing to seek help if you need it. Don't wait till it's too late. Can I speak to a moment for those who are widowed? You're here today, dear precious one. And no doubt there are those who are here that are still hurting. And that wound is fresh. Maybe you wonder why God even leaves you here. Because you desire to be with the one you love. Well, God has you here because He's not done with you. And you have a purpose. And I just want to say to you today that God says to you, that His grace is sufficient. So lean hard upon Him. Allow Him to love you and hold you and guide you and work in your life. Look to Him. Cry out to Him. There are those who are single here today. Some are happily single. Some are not. I want to remind you to remember that if you're a believer, you need to be looking for a believer Anyone that you date could possibly end up being the one that you marry. You want to be careful. You don't want to be practicing missionary dating. You say, what's that? That's where you date unsaved people and say, well, I'll get them saved. That's not the way it's supposed to work. That's very dangerous. 
You want someone who knows Jesus, who loves Jesus, if you know Jesus and love Jesus. Because I'm taking for granted that you want a Christian home. But listen, there are some that are single here today and you say, Preacher, I'm really frustrated. I'm really discouraged. I've kissed all the frogs I can find and I don't have a prince or princess yet. And I, 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 I'm looking for that one. I, I want that one. I'm tired of waiting. I get it. But can I encourage you to wait for God's best? Can I encourage you to wait for God's timing? I really believe that if God desires for you to get married, and I kind of believe He does if you have that desire, that who He has for you is worth waiting for. So in the meantime, keep your purity. Keep your focus on Jesus. Pray for guidance. Look to Him. Those who are single and you're dating right now, make sure that Christ is at the center of your relationship from the get-go because if He's not that now, very likely He won't be that later on after you say, I do. I jokingly tell people when they come in for pre-marriage counseling that my job, I'm trying to talk them out of getting married. And that's kind of a half joke. Because over our time together, we're looking for red flags. We're saying, are you really, is this really the one? Are you really serious? Is this really the one? Is this really the one? Is this really the one? It's not because I don't want them to get married. It's because I want to make sure. Because they're entering into a lifetime commitment. Till death do them part. What about those that are divorced here today? You say, well, go ahead, preacher. Let us have it. Friend, I found that most divorced people have been hurt enough. They've been wounded. I want to put my arm around you and cry with you today. Um, Most couples, in fact, every couple that comes before me, at least in my history, none of them came before me and got married thinking at some point their home would be in shambles. But now it is. You say, well, doesn't God hate divorce? Yes, but He loves divorcees. And so do I. And so do we. We know that divorce happens. Ultimately, all things result that the fall of man and sin, but divorce is not the unpardonable sin. There's forgiveness. I encourage you to seek it. There are still consequences. There's still scars. There's still hurt. But God will help you. His grace is sufficient. And maybe you're praying for reconciliation. And keep praying that that is possible. But maybe reconciliation's off the table. And Maybe you just don't know. Well, keep seeking the Lord. He loves you and He'll guide you. Now let me speak real quickly to those who are remarried. Perhaps because of the death of a spouse, perhaps as a result of divorce. Can I just say to you, and I'm doing this quickly because we're almost out of time, make sure that you put aside all the bitterness and the hurt and the resentment, everything from the previous relationship, and make sure that door is closed and there's some final resolution there. Make sure it's under the blood anything that's wrong. And then put all your energy, all your strength, all your focus now in this new marriage relationship and make it one that shines brightly for Jesus Christ. And then finally, let me speak for just a second to those who would say I'm happily married. Maybe it's for six days. Maybe it's six months. Maybe it's six years. Maybe it's 60 years. You have a blessing and and you need to use that to encourage others that are getting married or will get married. But let me encourage you to do this. Look at your marriage and realize that your marriage could be better 
You say, well, I'm already happily married. But yeah, what else could take place in your marriage to make it even better? Which brings me to the final three things I want to give you and we're done. For those that are married, I want to give you three things, three action steps, only three, that you can put in place in your life this week beginning today. I'm going to give them to you quickly. This is homework I think you'll enjoy. At least the second two, hopefully the first one. Let me give you three steps. Are you ready? Number one, pray together. Pray together. You say, well, why do you encourage us to pray together? Because prayer keeps God at the center of your home. Prayer reminds you that you can't do this on your own. Furthermore, it's hard to be mad at each other and pray together. You ever notice that? Give it your hand. It just doesn't work. Praying together seeks God's direction together. It's acknowledging, God, we can't do this on our own. We want you. Jesus, we want you at the center of our home. Pray together. Number two, you ready? Date each other. told you you're going to like this. Now, I just want to be honest with you. Why is it we're so dumb, and I'm including myself, when you were just starting out, what did you used to do together? You would go on dates together. Why? Because you wanted to be together. And on those dates, you didn't care where you went. You were just going to go and gaze in each other's eyes. You know. You didn't care if she had broccoli sticking out her teeth and he needed to blow his nose. You know, you didn't need anything. You just didn't love. You dated each other. But then life gets busy. Bills to be paid. Kids that need attention. Ball games, running back and forth, practices, homework, trouble, issues, taking care of of your aging parents. Before long, the fun of marriage, the romance of marriage is out the door. So dating each other involves some work. It involves a commitment. It doesn't have to be expensive. You don't have money. That's fine. But just time together and make it a non-negotiable in your schedule. Do it every week. Pick a time where you date and you go out and only cancel when you must. And then number three, these are real hard, aren't they? Laugh a lot. The Bible says in Proverbs seventeen twenty two, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. You know, laughter can relieve the tension and the stress of life. I'm so thankful that God gave me the gift of laughter. I don't think I would have made it in life as long as I have. I know I don't. I don't think I would have made it in ministry as long as I have. Were it not for humor and were it not for laughter, because laughter is just a release of tension and stress. It can take and help us to take ourselves a little less seriously. It brings enjoyment to our daily lives. Listen, if you've got kids at home, there's plenty to laugh about. I mean, the things that happen, the things that they say as they're growing up. Laughter provides bonding. There are some inside jokes that nobody know, knows about except you and your spouse. There's things you can say to each other. There you just give each other a look in certain circumstances and it's an inside thing and you just laugh together and that's something special that bonds you two together and you just laugh together. Can you imagine the joy that Adam and Eve must have experienced in the Garden of Eden? You say, well, does God have a sense of humor? Well, I believe He does. Because he gave us a sense of humor. Some of us have a better dose of it than others. Some of you need to get a sense of humor. 
Some of us need to temper our sense of humor. But there's something about the joy of laughter in your home. I, I think, to be honest with you, I think one of the signs of a healthy home life is laughter. I know people are wired differently. But if you're free to laugh, I think this shows that there's love flowing through your home. And I'll be honest with you, with what we've gone through in the last several years, with all that we've faced and even what we're facing today, we need a good dose of laughter and a good dose of joy flowing through our lives and our homes. Your home can be a place where Christ is honored. Give up that whole idea you're going to have a perfect home. You're not. You're not, but you can have a godly home. You can have a lovely, loving home. You can have a Christian home. Well, I've gone over my time, so we're not going to sing in closing. But let me just tell you this. We are going to bow in prayer. And while we're praying, if you need to come to the altar, or you need to do anything, we can serve you in some way. I'm here. Pastor Larry's here. But we're not going to sing in closing. But I do want to just spend a moment in prayer. And would you take this homework, if you're married, and would you go about doing this sometime today or this week? Would you say, hey, can we pray together? Hey, can we go on a date together? You might have to pick her up off the floor, guys, but it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. And, you, and would you just laugh together and just enjoy each other? Father, we love you today. Thank you for homes. Lord, I don't know where everybody is on this spectrum. We've got people from all different backgrounds and situations and Lord, I just pray right now that healing would take place for those that are hurting, for those who've been hurt. That, Lord, a lot of things will be put under the blood of Jesus this morning. For these that are looking toward the future, they're dating right now and they're looking at establishing a home. I pray for them that they would make Christ the center of even their dating relationship. Help them to remain pure and Help them to keep focused on you. And then for the, those that are married today, help us to realize the good gift you've given us in marriage. You've blessed us. So help us not to take it for granted. Help us to return to the earlier days when all we wanted to do was be together. Didn't matter where, when, what the circumstances were, whether we were broke or we had a lot of money, didn't matter just to be together because we love each other. So Lord, help families today. Help husbands and wives to pray together. Help them to go out together and help them to laugh together for Your glory. Go with us now, I pray, and help us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Amen.